Welcome to the Liberty Baptist Sermon Archives. The message you're about to hear was preached at Liberty Baptist Church in Easton, Massachusetts. You can find out more about us or contact us at mylibertybaptist.org or just look us up on Facebook. And now we hope that this message from God's Word will be a blessing to you. If you would open your Bibles to Ruth chapter number two this evening, certainly no surprise that we'll be in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter number two tonight. And we're going to take the next two weeks to finish chapter number two as we look more in depth at the kinsman redeemer. I know that we've used that term in talking about Boaz before, but I really want to draw some parallels between Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, and our kinsman redeemer, who is Jesus Christ. And I want to really highlight that and how that pertains to us here today, and I hope that the message this week as well as next week as well will be a help and encouragement to you. Well, what we're picking up tonight in the book of Ruth, uh, we've seen after the last several weeks that Ruth has been out in the field, hasn't she? Uh, we've seen her go out to the field that she just so happened to go to, but we saw that that was the providence of God. We saw that Boaz was the kind kinsman, that he took care of Ruth far beyond what the law would have done. And he did that not simply because he thought she was a beautiful woman, but he actually took concern and care for her. Although he certainly saw her beauty, he saw something far deeper and far greater than just simply a beautiful woman. We saw that he talked of Ruth's decision to come to salvation through the Lord and whose wings that she had come to trust in the wings of God. We took time to look at that. And then we even took time to see those handfuls of purpose that were laid out. Remember the fact that although the law required that a certain amount of grain was to be left behind, that Boaz purposely left more than what was required by the law. And in the same way, God treats us not equitably, he treats us far greater than we deserve, and we took great care uh, to look at that uh, two weeks ago as well. But that brings us to where we are tonight in our text, where we see that the kinsman redeemer is finally revealed. And that revelation to Ruth comes by none other than Naomi at the end of chapter 2. And so, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word, and we're in Ruth chapter number 2 this evening, and we'll begin reading in verse number 18. Ruth chapter number two, beginning in verse number 18, where it says this, And she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today? And where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean until the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwelt with her mother-in-law. You see, for the first time, a little bit of a change in Naomi, don't you? Naomi, the one who told everyone to call her Mara, for the Lord hath dealt very bitterly with me. Naomi starts to realize God still cares. And it's not that God just started caring, but Naomi 
is now starting to realize that God always did care. And she realizes there's a near kinsman. And we're going to look more at that near kinsman here tonight. Heavenly Father, be with us as we get into your word. Uh, allow me to uh, completely be yielded to you and to your spirit so I may say what is needed to be said this evening and nothing more and nothing less. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. So we see from what we just read that Ruth, after a day in the field and a day of harvesting, gets home and she immediately shares her bounty with Naomi. And even in this, we find Ruth's great care for Naomi. I noticed in study in verse number 18, it says, and she took it up. Well, what is it? Well, we saw that it was about an ephah of barley in verse number 17. An ephah of barley, by the way, is about a five and one half gallon tub. This is a lot of barley. This is can be made into a lot of meals. So she comes home with this really great bounty. But I noticed it says in verse 18, and she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. When I see the way those words are constructed and put together, it makes me think that Ruth took enough so that she would be taken care of and that from that point on, she gave everything else to Naomi. Okay, I thought I, thought I heard something. All right. Uh, I want to make sure my phone wasn't going off or something like that. Uh, it said uh, she got what she needed and gave everything else to Naomi. It could have been backwards, couldn't it? She could have said, well, Naomi, I did all the work, and so I'll give you what you need, and then I'll keep the rest. But her love and care and compassion for Naomi said to her, I'll make sure I'm sufficed and then everything else will belong to you, my mother-in-law. Again, Ruth's great care. Now, Naomi asks, well, where did you go to receive so much grain? Five and a half gallons. I mean, that's quite a bit, just seemingly more than you would get from gleaning the leftovers that were on the ground. And Ruth says that she went to the field of a man named Boaz. And immediately when she says the name Boaz, you can see that the light goes on for Naomi. Now, why Naomi did not think of Boaz before, why she did not say to Ruth, you need to go to Boaz's field, I don't know. There could be a lot of reasons. It could be that when she left for Moab, that Boaz didn't really have the type of land or the power or the fields that would have made her think of recommending that Ruth would go there. It could be that she was just so bitter in her life that when Ruth went out and said, hey, I'm going to go out to the fields, maybe Naomi didn't even really think about it very much. Okay, Ruth, I'll see you later. And didn't give her any recommendations, didn't give any thought. We don't know exactly why Naomi would not have told Ruth previously, you need to go to Boaz's field. He's a near kinsman. We don't know why, but here's what we do know is that she didn't. But as soon as she heard the name, she realized something's going on here. She realized that the God who she thought had forgotten her hadn't forgotten her at all. Do you see what she said in verse number 20? She says, blessed be the name of the Lord or blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. That might sound like a very strange statement, kindness to the living and kindness to the dead. But when we find out in a little bit what the kinsman's job actually was, you'll realize that it was kindness extended to the living and to one who had passed previously. And so what she says here is not simply poetic. It's literal in the sense that there was kindness extended to those who are living and those who had already passed, in this case, Malon and Chilion. And Naomi said unto her, this man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth 
is given instructions by Naomi. She says, look, for the rest of the harvest, you don't need to go to any other field. You need to listen to what Boaz said. You stay at the field. You keep going to the field. You don't go anywhere else. You don't let anyone find you at any other field. You keep going to Boaz's field because he is the near kinsman. And I think in the same way, this shows the humility of Ruth because Boaz had given her instructions in the field and she followed the instructions. Naomi gave her instructions of what she was to do and she followed those instructions. And so again, we see the wisdom of Ruth. We see the humility of Ruth. We see the generosity of Ruth and this Moabitish woman. I find it interesting that it's even mentioned to us again in verse number 21 when it talks about the kinsmen and it talks about these uh, laws that were given to the people of Israel. It's just mentioned once again, and of course there are no spare words, there's no accidental words in the Bible, that it would just be mentioned once again, Ruth the Moabitess, verse number 21, just a reminder, this is a woman who is outside of the nation, outside of the household of Israel, but because of her faith, because of whose wings she had come to trust, that she was going to be protected by God, even though the fact she was a Moabitess who would have been an enemy, those people would have been an enemy of the people of God. But her faith in Christ uh, brought her into a different relationship with him. But all of this brings us to the idea of this near kinsman that is mentioned in verse number 20. He's near of kin, Naomi says. He's one of our next kinsmen. And this is where I really want us to focus tonight and I want us to do a little bit of background work this evening as well in our Bibles to understand why this is so important. Now, the word for kinsman in Hebrew is gael, or sometimes pronounced goel. And the word literally means redeemer. The word kinsman, as we find it here in Ruth chapter 2, is gael in Hebrew, or sometimes pronounced goel. And the law of the goel, the law of the gael, means that this was the law of the redeemer, which is why we would sometimes call Boaz the kinsman redeemer. He was a near kinsman. He was near kin. He was family. But he was also a redeemer because that's literally what that word means in Hebrew. One defined it as the kinsman redeemer being one who delivers or rescues or redeems property or persons. Now, it's alliterated. Those are a lot of words there, but let me say it again. The kinsman redeemer is one who delivers or rescues or redeems property, or persons. But really it comes down to this. What does that word redeem mean? I know we've looked at this before. We've mentioned it before, even in this series a few weeks ago. But the word redeem has taken on multiple meanings over the years. Uh, you can redeem yourself, meaning you can make amends, meaning you can vindicate yourself. You, you have redeemed yourself. Uh, you can redeem coupons. At least that's what people used to do. That means you exchange them to someone and receive a discount in return. And Boaz would eventually redeem Ruth. But yet all of these words do have different meanings. But the word redeem comes from the Latin word red, meaning, meaning back, and emo, meaning obtain or purchase. And so the word in its literal sense means to buy back. That's going to be important here as we continue to look at it, that the redeemer is one who buys back property or buys back a person. 
And again, we'll see more about how that connects with the Old Testament in other Old Testament passages in just a moment. Uh, the 1828 dictionary would say this of redeem. It means to purchase back, to ransom, to liberate or rescue from captivity or bondage or from any obligation or liability to suffer or to be forfeited by paying an equivalent as to redeem prisoners or captured goods to redeem a pledge. And the idea would be if you left something at a pawn shop, for instance, you would go back and you would redeem it. There was something that would have to be paid to receive that which you have given. And that's not a perfect example, a one-for-one one, uh, way of looking at it. But at the same time, it does give us a little bit of an idea of what's happening. Something has been captured. Something has been uh, 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 has a need, a great need, and someone is going to pay that need for someone who cannot do it for themselves. Ruth has some problems, doesn't she? She's from Moab. She comes back to Bethlehem, Judah. She has nothing. She has a mother-in-law that needs to be taken care of as well. She has really no means to be able to provide for herself other than the mechanism of being able to pick up some grain that's on the ground. And, and listen, that's not nothing. God provided that. But at the same time, Ruth needs help. And she can't help herself in so many ways. You know what she needs? She needs a kinsman redeemer. She needs someone who's going to come and is going to take charge of the situation and do for Ruth what she cannot do for herself. So the question is, where does this principle of the kinsman, the principle of the goel, the gael, where does this come from? Well, God put several laws in place to be able to take care of his people and these were the laws, oftentimes called the laws of the Goel. And you can write these down. You can look at these later. For instance, Leviticus chapter 25, verses 25 to 28, there were laws governing possessions that were to be redeemed. There were certain rules and regulations God put in place if you had possessions that needed to be redeemed. You gave them to someone else or someone had bought them and you were redeeming them back uh, in a creditor situation. Leviticus 25, later on that chapter, verses 47 through 49, laws governing selling oneself into slavery. If someone was deep in debt, they could literally sell themselves as a servant. But God had ways of making sure that they were able to redeem, uh, be redeemed so that they would not have to be a servant anymore and that debt could be satisfied. Numbers chapter 5, verses 5 through 8, there was laws governing the repayment when someone was wrong and had died that there was a need for a redeemer to be able to take uh, the place of those possessions that had uh, been uh, removed. But what I really want us to look at and what really helps us understand what's going on here in Ruth is in Deuteronomy chapter number 25. So will you turn there, please? Leave your space there in Ruth chapter uh, 2. We'll go back there. But Deuteronomy chapter 25, because I do want us to look at this. Those others are related to what we're looking at, but don't exactly fit what is happening with Ruth and Boaz. But Deuteronomy chapter number 25 certainly does. Deuteronomy chapter 25, beginning in verse number 5. It says this, If brethren dwell together, and one of them die, and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Now, stop right there for just a moment. What we are looking at right there in that first phrase, those first phrases of verse number five, would fit the situation of Ruth and her Jewish husband who has passed away. There is no child that has been born, uh, and there is a contingency plan that God has put in place for the widow 
to be able to be redeemed. So understand what we're reading right here in Deuteronomy, these are the laws of Moses, this is the retelling of the law before Moses uh, passes off the scene and the Israelites go into the land. What we see here is going to fit into the situation that Ruth has found herself in. So picking up again in verse number five, it says this, her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. So what do we see here? We see just from these two verses that if there was a widow uh, who had, uh, well, she's a widow because her husband passed away, but they had no heir, what was to happen was a near kinsman was to take her in marriage if he was able to and was to have a child and that male child would carry on the name of the one who had died. In essence, not being his own child, but being the child of the one who passed away. Do you see why Naomi would have said that Boaz uh, has shown kindness to both the living and the dead? With her understanding, wow, when he is serving our family, he's not just serving Ruth and Naomi, she's thinking. She's also serving understanding the history of those who have passed on in our family before. He's not just doing this out of compassion for Ruth. He's also doing this out of compassion for those who have passed on before. And God took this very seriously. Now, how serious was this? Well, I don't want to get too far ahead because some of this will relate to chapter number four, but I think we need to read it anyway. Look at verse number seven. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife. So what if he says this, I'm the next kinsman, but I don't want to do it. I know what God has said, but I don't want to take up my responsibility. He says this, Then let his brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of his city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders Loose his shoe from off his foot, spit in his face, and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. That's pretty serious. By the way, aren't you glad we don't have lawful transactions that take place like that today? Go down to the courthouse and say, why is that guy taking his loafer off? Just watch. Uh, and a woman slaps him with it and spits in his face. I'd say, wow, that's a strange day at the courthouse. But this is a normal day here in Israel when this happens. Why? Because God is saying this. This is a very serious matter. And why? Because this is a picture of some things that are going to take place for us through Jesus Christ. And we'll consider that later. But the idea is this. This is a very serious thing. What do you do? You're, you need to raise up your brother's seed. You need to raise up your brother's family. There's a need for redemption. I don't want to redeem, he says. Well, the shoe is taken off of his foot. He's hit with the shoe. She spits in his face. And he gets a new name. What's his new name? Well, uh, it says the house of him that hath his shoe loosed. That's a tough name to be carrying around the rest of your life too, isn't it? That that's what he is to be called. His name uh, is to be really called a byword. That he is one that is going to be looked at with such contempt by all the people around. Why? Because he had the ability to redeem, but refused. And that's important. He had the ability to redeem, but refused. 
these Goel laws were put into place, whether it was about possessions or whether it was about people. These laws were put into place to be able to help someone who was not able to help themselves. Can I remind you that there was no police force in Israel in those days? That you didn't have cop cruisers just going around town taking care of people. Uh, there was none of that. There were no attorneys. There were no public defenders. There were none of the things that we take for granted in society that we have today. And that when they are doing right, the system works very well when they're doing right. But we don't see any of that during this time. So what did God do? God had built into their society the understanding that when you had no help, someone was obligated to be there to help you. See, that's what God was doing. See, there wasn't this necessarily a government oversight to be able to make sure that the downtrodden were taken care of, but God in his word, in his providence and care for his people made sure there were laws in place that when someone had nowhere to turn, there would be someone that was there to help them. And when someone refused to do that, God-given duty that was laid upon them, they were looked at very, very poorly. Now, think about this for a moment. In many ways... Isn't this true today of us? We have no human help in this life, particularly when it comes to salvation. Who here could be saved because of what they've done on their own? Nobody can. Know what we need? We need a redeemer, don't we? We need someone who can redeem us and not just any someone. There's only someone, one someone. Who can redeem us? There's no way we can rescue ourselves from the sentence of death and the penalty of hell. There's no way that we can redeem ourselves from that. However, we have a Goel, much like Ruth, who stands ready and willing to redeem. Aren't you glad, by the way, that our Savior is willing to redeem us? Maybe we should just take a moment tonight and dwell on the fact that he didn't have to redeem us, but he was willing to redeem us. I would even put it this way. He was anxious to redeem us in the sense that he was willing to go to the cross. No, I'm not talking about anxiety in the sense of a sinfulness. No, I'm talking about that he was willing and ready to go to the cross for you and I to redeem us when others could not and only he could. He did and he did so willingly. Would you turn please to Job chapter number 16? There's a couple places I want us to look there. Job chapter number 16. Right before the book of Psalms, Job chapter 16. Look at verse number 11. It says, God hath delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over into the hands of the wicked. I was at ease, but he hath broken me asunder. He hath also taken me by the neck and shaken me to pieces and set me up for his mark. Now, let's just stop for a moment. Job was in a great deal of difficulty. Job was in a situation that, humanly speaking, was hopeless. And he's going to express his hopelessness 
and his inability to improve his situation in life here in the next verses. And he talks about the depths of despair that he's feeling when it says, His archers compass me round about. He cleaveth my reins asunder and doth not spare. He poureth out my gall upon the ground. He breaketh me with breach upon breach. He runneth upon me like a giant. I have sewed sackcloth upon my skin and defiled my horn in the dust. My face is foul with weeping and on my eyelids is the shadow of death. Not for any injustice in mine hands, also my prayer is pure. O earth, cover not thou my blood, and let my cry have no place. Also now, behold, my witness is in heaven, and my record is on high. My friends scorn me, but my eye poureth out tears unto God. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God, as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. You realize what Job is saying here? He says, physically, I'm a mess. Emotionally, I'm a mess. My friends, they scorn me. And we understand the ones who were supposed to come to help him ended up doing much more harm than good. Mine eye poureth out tears unto God. He says, I just weep and I weep and I weep before God and my situation does not change. It doesn't matter what I do or what I say. It seems like I am just in such a great strait where I am. And he says this. He says, oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleadeth for his neighbor. He says, oh, that I had someone that would be able to go to the Father for me. If I only had someone that could advocate, if I only had someone that would be able to redeem me, if I only had someone that could help me in my abject poverty of both finances and of physical health and of spiritual and emotional health. I mean, a man who literally had everything and had been broken down, listen, by the understanding of God, God understood all of this, but he'd been brought down to almost nothing. He said, if I just had someone that would plead for me. Now turn to chapter number 19 quickly. Chapter number 19. Getting you a little bit of workout in the Bible tonight, but that's good for us. That's good for us. Verse 19, verse 20, or chapter 19, verse 23. He says this a few chapters later. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. You imagine he got to heaven and realized, oh, I got a whole book. Maybe he thought, if I had known that, maybe I would have said a few different things. Oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book. That they were graven with an iron pen and led in the rock forever. And by the way, because they're inscribed in the word of God, they are forever. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body... Get in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eye shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. And, and I want us to focus on verse number 25. By the way, those verses are some of the most beautifully poetic and, and, and true verses that you will find anywhere in the book of Job. But verse 25, for I know that my Redeemer liveth. By the way, in case you're curious, that word Redeemer in the Hebrew is the word Gael. He's the Redeemer. What does that mean? Well, there's a connection with a Boaz. And I would submit to you the connection with Jesus Christ. Because could we say this today? I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, 
whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Why will I be able to see God someday? Because I have a Gael, because I have a Redeemer, because I have my Boaz, which is Jesus Christ. And by the way, I don't just have him for myself. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you have him too. He's your Redeemer. He is the one that when you're in the situation that you know not what to do, that the Redeemer is the one that can stand there, whether it's the situation of salvation where we know that we can't redeem ourselves. It's only Jesus Christ and His precious blood that can redeem us. Or whether it's the situation of life like Job where His eternal soul wasn't in the balance, but it was the issues of life that he was dealing with, those issues of his life that he wasn't able to take care of on his own, but yet he called out unto his Redeemer. He says, I wish there was someone that would be able to stand there and plead to the Father for me. And he realized just a few chapters later, I know that I have a Redeemer. I know that he lives. And listen, whether this body just corrupts itself and turns to ashes in the ground right before me at this day, I know this, I'll see God. And I can trust in him. You know, there are plenty of times in our Christian life that we go through situations like a Job. Like a Ruth. Those situations that we don't know what to do. Times when we're alone. Feel like nobody cares. It's amazing to me that you can be in a group of 100 people and feel alone sometimes. Isn't that strange how that happens? Oh, well, 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 I'm really outgoing, so I never feel alone. You know, I found sometimes the most outgoing and the most uh, charismatic people are sometimes the ones who feel the most alone. That it doesn't necessarily connect that someone has an outgoing personality and they just never feel that way. No, there are times we're alone. Times we're scared. You know, being scared isn't just something for little children. If we're honest, fear is something we deal with on a regular basis. There are times we're going through situations and we're literally fearful because we don't know what the next step will be and we don't know what's gonna happen next. There are times we have fear. There are times we have hurt. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but anybody here hurt? Don't raise your hand. But there are times we have hurt, isn't there? I mean, hurt that goes deep down, far beyond the body to the soul. I mean, I'll be honest with you, hurting of the soul sometimes hurts worse than the hurting of the body. The hurting of the body can sometimes be healed. The hurting that goes down deep, it's something. Sometimes we're misunderstood. Maybe you have the very best of intentions, but other people don't realize you have the best of intentions. And because of that, your name, your testimony has been maligned. Or maybe simply you just think you're, you're doing, or you think you're doing right, and you're doing the, the best that you can, and other people don't see that and see something different. There are times that we're misunderstood, falsely accused, said to have done something that we had nothing to do with at all. There are times that that happens to us. There are times that we're tempted beyond what we believe we can bear. Temptation's real tonight. Of course, that's not something that's a newsflash to anyone who's in this building. But temptation of the flesh is real. And the Bible tells us 
that, that we have a, a way to escape and that we can bear it through the power of God. But yet there are times when we just feel that temptation, uh, that temptation of, of, of indulging in the flesh, indulging in self, indulging in harmful practices, indulging in substances, indulging uh, in lying because we want to further ourselves, indulging in those things that Jesus Christ died on the cross for. There are times that the temptation to go back to those old ways, the, time, the temptation to go back to those ways that we used to live is so great upon us that sometimes you just don't even know what to do and you, you just feel like, like you're incapacitated uh, and that you, you, you don't know what steps to take. And by the way, that's not just something for new Christians. That's something that people at every level of the Christian experience deal with. You say, well, pastor, you get to a certain age, you don't deal with things like that. I counseled with a pastor. I talked with a pastor a few weeks ago who was counseling with people who were in their 80s. Two single people that were doing things together and acting in ways that you wouldn't think 80-year-olds would act, especially that had been in church for 40 or 50 years. But let's not kid ourselves that you get to a certain age and it's like the temptation of the flesh just isn't a thing anymore. Sure, we get more mature in the faith and sure, we, we get um, uh, further along in our walk with the Lord. But let's not pretend that there aren't times, no matter what age you are, that you are tempted and it's so sore and it presses against you so much, you don't know what to do. Here's what I do know. There are times that you need someone who will step in and be your advocate and your redeemer. Now, we need our advocate and redeemer every day and every hour. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There is never a time when we don't need Christ. <laughs> if you ever think there's a time in your life, well, I'm pretty good without Christ. I question if you truly understand the nature of Jesus Christ. If you think there is a day or an hour or a minute of your life that you don't need him. But understand what I'm saying, that even as you walk in faith, there are situations that come that you realize, wow, even as I'm walking the way that I'm supposed to walk, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know which direction to turn. And here's what I'm afraid that we do. Many times Christians, especially here in 2023, the first thing they do is they go to social media and they put out a plea. Does anyone have a good book? Does anyone have a podcast? Does anybody have some advice? The first thing that they do is they go to YouTube and type in the problem and find what video pops up. First thing they do is go to Google. Google, what should I do for X, Y, Z? The first thing they do is text a best friend or call someone on the phone or send out an email or, or any number of things. And I would submit to you that those things in and of themselves are not wrong if they're used with the spirit of wisdom. Podcasts aren't sinful, but if they don't have the spirit of wisdom, you don't need to be listening to them. Books aren't sinful, other books other than the Bible. I, I kind of like reading books, to be honest with you, as long as they have the spirit of wisdom. But what I'm afraid so oftentimes is when we get in those difficulties, when we're alone, when we're tempted, when we're scared, we're hurt, we're misunderstood, and any number of things, the first thing we do is not to go to the Redeemer, not to go to the near kinsman, not to the go to the Goel. The first thing we do is we, we, we don't go to Boaz. We go to someone else's field who really doesn't have a lot of grain to give us. But do you realize the kinsman has all the grain you need? 
and more? Do you realize the kinsman can sustain you when others can't? Oh, Ruth could have gone to someone else's field and she would have been picking up grain piece by piece. And I can tell you this, she wouldn't have come back with an ephah. She would have come back with a much smaller amount. But how many times do we turn to all these other places and we ignore the one who redeemed us in salvation and is ready to be our redeemer and our advocate in our everyday life? That, that Boaz, and, and just as we look at Boaz and Ruth and we see as they are drawn together, what a beautiful love story it is. Don't you realize the closer we draw to our Boaz, the closer we draw to our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the closer we draw to him, not just in salvation, but in our daily walk, what a beautiful thing it is as we draw closer to our Savior. But yet we draw closer seemingly many times to everything but the Savior when he's the one that will protect us. He's the one that will care for us. He's the one who will provide for us. He is never the one who will say, I won't redeem. We'll see in chapter 4, there's going to be one that is a nearer kinsman, and I have some theories about that. But he refused. Hope that doesn't spoil it for anybody. But he refused. You know what Boaz said? I will. I will. You know, when those false gods couldn't redeem us because they were not, when those wrong philosophies could not redeem us because they were not from God, when mankind itself could not redeem us because it's creation and not creator, there is one who is willing to redeem us. And if he redeemed us in salvation, shouldn't we go to him to redeem us in our everyday life? I'm so glad that Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. You say, well, that, that, that verse just deals with the sinfulness, or, or excuse me, the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. And certainly does deal with that, but it doesn't just deal with that. We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Those feelings I mentioned before, being alone, being scared, being hurt, misunderstood, falsely accused. Jesus Christ understands. He walked in this earth in flesh for 33 years. He understands. Tempted? Do you think he understands? Oh, I think so. I think there are 40 days that would prove that. And if you think that's the only time he was ever tempted in his life, then I think we're probably thinking incorrectly. Tempted in all points, yet as we are, yet without sin. That's our Redeemer. But does He know how I feel? He knows how you feel. Does He know where I am? He knows where you are. By the way, better than anyone does in your friend circle, better than anyone in your family, even better than Google, even though it's tracking you, it may know. Jesus Christ knows. And yet somehow, our Boaz is one of the last ones we go to. Next week, we're going to talk about the characteristics of the kinsman. I want us to look at what makes the kinsman such a beautiful figure for us. And certainly, it shouldn't be hard because when we think of Jesus Christ, we know His beauty is without parallel. He's the Rose of Sharon. 
He's the one who is the lily of the valley. But tonight, in the meantime, will you make your appeal to your Boaz, your kinsman, the Savior Jesus Christ, before any and all others? Thank you for listening to this sermon from the pulpit of Liberty Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, or if there's any way we can serve you, please let us know by contacting us at info at mylibertybaptist.org, or you can visit us this Sunday at 800 Washington Street in Easton, Massachusetts. May the Lord bless you as you grow in His Word.